Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect. And this is User-Friendly 2.0. Thank you for joining us this week. We've got a lot of interesting things to talk about. It looks like T-Mobile's been hacked again sixth time in four years, if it turns out to be that that's what it actually is. We're going to talk a little bit later about what you can do and can't do to protect your data and what this actually kind of means to all of us. Later in the show, we're going to be doing an extended Q&A. We've got a lot of good questions coming in. Please keep them coming. A little bit of bad news, we're not going to be able to make the Comic-Con. It looks like with Delta variant, it just isn't going to happen. So we'll talk about what's going on with all of that this fall. And with no further ado, we're going to go into what's the latest in technology and pop culture news. Today's news is brought to you by My Jim Sherwood, offering a safe and clean place for kids ages six weeks to 10 years to learn, play, and get moving. Become a founding member today at mygym.com slash Sherwood. So what's in the news? Android 12 beta feature lets you control your phone with your face. This is a listener question and part of our Tech Wednesday segment this week, checking into these different details. And this was a very unusual topic when it came up because the way that it was sent over was kind of this idea of we want to do something different. So what's going on here is that originally when software, when actually smartphone companies came out and started selling their devices, everybody that wanted one would buy one. So there was plenty of market out there for selling different things and doing different things. But we've gotten to a point now where pretty much everybody that wants a smartphone has one. So they're looking at this. It's called market saturation. So they're looking at this idea of, well, we want to come up with another way to sell our product. So the way we're going to do that is through improvements, unique features, that type of thing. The general thing you see with computers as, as time goes by. In the case of smartphones, they're trying to figure out different ways to do things because the basic phone is the same thing. And if it ages out, it might not run some of the new apps. But as far as how it works and what it does roughly, that doesn't change. So both Apple and Android have come out with this idea of upgraded operating systems and adding new features, which actually can cause older phones to phase out when they're no longer supported. And one of the unique ideas that Android's coming up here in the 12 beta, which is what they're calling the next version of Android, is that using facial expressions, you can activate and do things on your phone. The way this would work is you map, say <laughs> you open your mouth, and that opens your contact list or something. That I, kind I of think idea. this is ridiculous. Um, yeah, it's a little odd. Um, the only time I could see this being of any kind of value from a, a serious point of view is if you have somebody who is um, paralyzed from the neck down, and maybe they've learned how to make facial expressions but then they're not going to be able to hold their phone. Yeah, and the, and the thing of it is, is something like that absolutely makes sense, but there's already hardware and software out there uh, for quality of life enhancements and that type of yeah, thing. Yeah, they could use voice commands. Yeah, voice commands or, yeah, you know, the idea, if you think of uh, Dr. Hawking, who uh, passed a few years ago, his system allowed for that and he was paralyzed. This is more being targeted at the general market and uh, is something that they're wanting to offer as an additional thing that you can do on your phone, something that Apple doesn't have yet. At least that's what they're saying, uh, although Apple does have some of these features. But that's where this is headed. So I guess the question I pose to our audience is, would you even use something like this? Do you, or, you know, is, is, is a different kind of an interface 
something that actually would be valuable to you. Mm. T-Mobile apparently lied to the government to get the Sprint merger. Uh, (laughs) So I I would think that's bad. Um, (laughs) Uh, Well, kind of. Now, I want to make it clear. We're not accusing T-Mobile of anything here. We're just covering the news. And from everything that I've been able to find on this so far is this is somewhat um, not completely we've done it yet, but there may be this type of a thing. But what the accusation is, is that with the merger, a certain portion of the bandwidth that was coming together with that, the bandwidth being the frequencies that the phones can broadcast on to communicate, was going to be divested. And it was going to be allowed to be used among other companies like Boost Mobile or some of the cable company networks, Dish, that type of thing. However, afterwards, it appears that T-Mobile has said that they don't plan to stop providing the services that use that bandwidth until January of next year. So Dish Mm -hmm. has uh, expressed some concern about that because they were one of the companies that was supposed to be able to use this area and now can't because they're still on it. So the way the headline's written that T-Mobile may have lied about this, that's (laughs) where that's coming from. So (laughs) this is before the California Public Utilities Commission. And we will see where they end up with that. So what they've asked is to show T-Mobile is to show cause why it should not be sanctioned by the commission for violating false, misleading, or admitted statements. And they're in the news again. Did T-Mobile get hacked for a sixth time? Yeah, again, an interesting thing. So supposedly <laughs> on the dark web is a lot, and I do mean a lot, excuse me, of private information for T-Mobile users. And what's been reported here is that this includes phone numbers, social security numbers, physical home addresses, that type of thing. And really, for the most part with this, in this day and age, and I hate to say it, but that information is already easy to come by. If I want someone's social security number, I can go on the dark web and get it. Pretty much, that's the way it is now. And pretty much with all of the hacks that have happened over the years, everybody's private information is out there. You just have to know how to look for it. But one of the things with this that takes this a step further and could make this a difficulty is additional data that was released, and specifically is the number of your phone called an IMEI number. So the way that this works is when you have a cell phone, you have your phone number, and all that's fine and well, and that's for us humans to be able to use a system that works like what we expect it to be. But each device has its own, let's call it a serial number, that connects it to the network that's unique for that device. So on the back end, that's how it actually authenticates your phone and that type of thing. It's not done with your phone number. Well, one of the bits of information that seems to have been released with that is this IMEI number. And the problem with that is, is that you can clone the other person's phone. So you can actually make a phone that is just like the real phone that would be out there in the market and then go to that person's checking account and say, hey, I've lost my password. I need to log on. And when it sends the text to validate it or with the secure number, that text now goes to the clone phone. No, it's a good thing I don't use them anymore. Yeah, and that allows the hacker. But 90% of people that have smartphones do some kind of banking activity with them. It's a very, very widely used thing, and um, they call these uh, SIM swap attacks, and that is an area that they're concerned about. Now, one of the things here is the question of what can you do about it. There's not a lot. The only thing that I would recommend is if you're a T-Mobile customer is change your password and change your PIN code 
those two things. You do have access code or access to rather, but you're not going to be able to change the phone serial number, the IMEI number without changing the phone. So you're kind of locked in there, but just keep an eye on things. The other thing is, is to use app-based verification instead of text-based verification. Uh, That will help. But again, we're getting to a point here where this gives enough ability to the bad guys that there's not a great deal of things that we can do to protect ourselves other than watching for stuff. And it's always a good idea to keep an eye on your financial accounts and things because that's where you'll see the problem. And if one pops up, you do want to get on it right away. This is from Steam. Valve fixes the problem with unlimited funds gaming wallet cheat. Yeah, that's a bummer. I wish I would have known about this before they fixed it. Um, so, oh, yeah. <laughs> so what this is, is for anybody that has not heard of these things and thinks that Valve and a Steam might have something to do with a, oh, a Steam engine, maybe. Yeah. Uh, it's an online service for downloading games. Uh, very well known, very widely used, and very well respected. I buy a lot of my PC games off of there, or VR stuff, all of that comes usually from... Steam. And Valve is a part of the system that is used for the distribution. Within that, you have a wallet for keeping track of money and different things to buy your games, buy your downloadable content, or whatever else it is that you're doing. Well, what they had was a bug where if you loaded a small amount of money, say a dollar into your wallet, and you knew how to do it, you could hit your wallet with a what's called a post request. Uh, That's a way of sending data from your browser back to the server, in this case, um, Steam stuff. And what you would do is, by manipulating the variables within that check, be able to up it to $100, $1,000, or whatever. Hmm. So, And it seems like they were very quick to fix this problem. Um, (laughs) (laughs) A lot quicker than a lot of uh, attacks that I've seen out there and things that need to be patched. This has been fixed. It's no longer a thing. But there are some people, apparently, that were able to get into it and do that. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. In the previous segment in the news, we were talking about this new probable hack with T-Mobile. And mm-hmm. when you start talking about hacking, it's a scenario now where it's almost like it's not news because it happens so often. And yeah, back even when we first were starting to do User-Friendly, there was this list of, okay, so your organization, bank, whatever's been hacked, this is what you do. You go on, change the password, change the account number. But we're getting to a point now where those type of steps, while they're still valid, don't completely solve the problem. In some cases, they're more effective than others. Check the firewall? Check, you know, but the, <laughs> well, the problem is, is so much of our personal information is out there. Yeah. Almost to a point that some of the basics, like a social security number, we talked about this earlier, phone number, these type of things. If uh, you want that information, know how to find it, you're going to be able to. And there's no password that you can change that's going to block that. So credit monitoring services, these type of things are good. But a lot of times those will cost you money. Although if you've been involved or an organization you work with has been involved, a lot of times they'll offer free monitoring services for a while. 
checking your credit report. Uh, annualcreditreport.com is the free site for that. You can pull your reports once a year. Since it's once a year, what I do is I'll pull one report in first quarter, a second and second quarter, and a third and third quarter. Because if something has come up that affects your credit, usually it will f- affect more than one reporting bureau. Yeah. So it's a way to kind of spread it out without having to pay for it. Uh, most of the other credit reporting sites that offer quote-unquote free credit reports really aren't. So you do want to watch that too, that you're not paying for something that you should be getting for free and that you have a right to get for free. Right. And one of the other directions that this is taking that's a scary thing, and I want to talk about this from a friend's personal experience, and that's literally what this ha- was. And it's some friends of our families that are selling their house. They're both seniors. They need to move into a uh, assisted care community. And they've owned a house. They've owned a house for a long time, and they put it on the market. And as with the real estate right now, it's sold in three days. Wow. And in line with that, they had people contact them that looked just like their title company. I saw some of this, and it, it looked very good. Definitely would fool the average person. Mm-hmm. And it was things like, okay, we, in her case, we need you to pay a fee for the closing and the filing of the document. Uh, click here to go on and pay it. And in her case, what happened is when she did that, her credit card number got out to these bad actors, bad guys. And then she had the added benefit. And if any of us have ever moved, which yeah. most of us have, you know that that can be a stressful experience. Yes, you're not thinking right. You're not thinking right. You just want to get things done. You're overwhelmed. A lot of stuff's coming at you. So it's like, okay. Uh, So it makes it a lot easier to fool somebody when they're not paying as close attention as they normally could. But some of the other things that are happening out there now is it is possible with all the material that's on the dark web for the bad guys, the hackers, to be able to simulate pretty much what something is supposed to look like. So there's been issues with title companies where the client will receive an email that looks just like it came from the title company. And now, even if you check the return email address, it's correct, that we need you to set up the deposit account information for the proceeds, something like that. And you put it in there, and then the money that's supposed to go to you is diverted somewhere else. And getting that back can be very, very difficult. Mm. So if you're selling a house or engaged in a financial transaction in that sense, or even renting a house, because this is another area. Send us your deposit and first month's rent, that kind of thing, and it's bad actors doing that. Every transaction now you get electronically, you almost need to call the title company, get to the person that you're working with. You'll usually have one representative and ask them, is this the real deal and should I do it? Wow. Yeah. You know, and that takes extra time. However, in the case of our friends. And in the long run, people will be happier if you double check everything. Yes. It's almost like with the police stuff, you know, somebody says, oh, I'm the policeman, you know, and are they really the policeman? You call up the, you know, the police department. Is there really a policeman by this name? You know, (laughs) know? it just and it it really is. I, I mean, you have to check everything. Because they're getting very good at faking stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and and that type of a thing. And you might not know that you've been spoofed either right away. Because yeah, that's right. one of the other things. They'll wait 30 days, 60 days to violate, the, you know, your account or whatever the case may be. So it's passed from that time and you might not even be thinking about it as much. And these are all real situations. Another end of this is businesses. 
because that's where it's really necessary to tighten things down. If T-Mobile has been hacked again, it will be the sixth time in the past four years. That's nuts. It's necessary to lock down your stuff. And big companies like that have problems. If you have a small business and you get hacked, it can put you out of business sometimes. And there's a number of different ways to do this. And one of them is this idea, if you want to catch a hacker, hire a hacker. Mm. And there's companies out there that have what they call ethical hackers. And you can work with them. Of course, they charge for their services like anybody else would. But the idea is to determine vulnerabilities and that type of a thing. Some of the other areas that you can deal with on this too is if you're taking credit cards online, you want to set up so that you're what's called PCI compliant. Most banks that process your credit cards are going to require that and offer a suite of services to do things like scan your network, scan your website, find out if there's any problems. And in a lot of cases, they're requiring that now and well should, you know, mm-hmm. just because it will catch a lot of things before these type of things happen. And I know as a programmer on my end, I, unless it is absolutely necessary to do it, I advise all of my clients, do not keep personal information and credit card numbers if you don't absolutely have to, because you're taking away some of the material that the bad actors would be going after. And I don't know, have you guys seen this or had a problem with it? Which, the the house stuff? The being hacked in general. Um, <sighs> no, just through the Experian thing, um, most of the, the big main business hacks didn't really affect me personally, but I keep getting, you know, hey, you make your, sure you check your credit, lock your credit down. So it's like, you know, we lock everything down and try and secure everything as well as we can. Yeah, yeah that's the best you can do. Freezing your credit is a very good idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely something that's recommended. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0, and we just talked about hacking and all kinds of things with that. And another thing to look at is to make sure that you're online doing what you think you're doing, I guess would be the best way to put it. And Gretchen, <laughs> I'm going to have you explain what happened. Okay. Um, this has happened to my mother and myself. So um, first it happened to my mother. She, I told her about IKEA, and we don't have an IKEA in our area. So she wanted to like look on their website and see what they had. And um, so she was looking at it, finding things. And she calls me over. Oh, look at this. Look at this. And, and then I look at it and that's Wayfair. She didn't realize somehow she was started out on Ikea and then ended up on Wayfair. Right. Okay. That seems a little weird. Then later on, I'm, you know, at my computer, completely different machine. And I wanted to order something from Walmart. And uh, I thought, well, maybe it'll be at the store and I can go just go down the street and pick it up real quick. Like, so I'm trying to find it's yarn. I'm looking for yarn. So I put in the yarn name and I'm looking around and then I'm noticing some of the yarn is insanely expensive. It's like, wow, that's kind of out there for Walmart. And then I start clicking on things that I was hoping to find. And then all of a sudden I realize I'm on Amazon. How did I start out on Walmart 
and then end up on Amazon. And that wasn't what I wanted to do. So that was kind of freaky and frustrating. Mm -hmm. And I still don't know how I managed to do that. And I'm not exactly a novice um, computer user like my, my mother. She could have clicked something wrong. But I at no point did I go to any sidebar, you know, advertising. I don't get distracted by, you know, flashy lights or whatever. And so I, uh, do you have any idea how this could have happened? You know, it's something that is definitely a part of online shopping and something to watch out for. And I know what you're talking about is you actually went to a third-party website, which can happen. But a couple of things to think about on this, and I'm going to call out a few retails here that I know do it, and Walmart's one of them. Amazon's one of them. If you do tech stuff, Newegg's one of them. They're a company that sells a lot of technology stuff. And what's going on here is that in all of those cases and others, the company itself that you're at doesn't necessarily fulfill your order. <laughs> so what ends up happening in the case of what we are, we're looking at with yarn, since we looked at that before the show, is you would go to walmart.com and you would bring up the brand of yarn you were looking at and it would come up. And there were a number of different options. The first one that they showed was seven bucks for the roll, whatever it was. And it was something that was fulfilled by Walmart. And then when we clicked over to another one that went up to $28 for a roll, different color, but same product basically, and started looking as why is there this price difference? There's a portion on the screen, it's small and underneath the total where it says fulfilled by, and the name of the company that it's fulfilled by changed from Walmart to somebody else. Yeah, it was frustrating because it was the same brand. Yeah, same yeah, brand. Of, it was the same. Of, well, it was of, the same item, just a different color, yeah. the same product. Yeah, no, I know. Uh huh. And this type of thing happens all the time. Amazon has the same thing. In fact, it's been in the news lately of whether Amazon is responsible or not for things like recalls when it's a product that's sold through Amazon's website but by a third party. Now, see, I'm a little leery now of of Amazon. Because I'd made a purchase and the vendor uh, claimed it, it looked like it was being fulfilled by Amazon. But then when I got the product uh, and it was it was a dress that wasn't made for a human, it was so poorly done. <laughs> uh, I don't even know what I'm going to do with them now. But um, they s insisted that I send it back to China. Yeah. And it was supposed to be so that I could, I only want to buy from Amazon so that I can return something if it doesn't turn out. So now I'm spooked of using Amazon because uh, now Amazon took care of the problem. They gave me my money back. But still, there's that feeling of, can I trust what I'm being told? And so the, the trust level is dropped greatly. Yeah, it's definitely important to see who's fulfilling your order on whatever site you're on. Mm -hmm. Because another thing is time. If it's being shipped internationally, it's going to take longer to get to you. There's all kinds of things with that. And yeah, just to say what you said, Amazon does have a guarantee. And I know about your situation. And when it was done, they did take care of the problem. But it took some doing to get it done. But it wasn't like it was a big fight. But it is definitely a situation where you do want to be careful of these things, especially if it's costing you more money when you place the order. Just double check and make sure that you're dealing with who you're think you're dealing with. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break.
Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We've got a special extended Q&A for you this week. I've had a lot of questions come in, and this is the part where we endeavor to get you some answers. Keep the questions coming. 503-766-6264 is our phone number. That's 503-766-6264. Give us a call. Leave us a message. The other way you can do it is on social media. Facebook and Twitter, one user-friendly on either one, or userfriendlyshow.com. What's our questions? Is it true you can't use a cell phone in Green Bank? Yes, this actually is true. So if you're looking for a place to go in this world that uh, you want to literally be off the grid, this is one place you can go to do that. Where's Green Bank? It's Green Bank is in the state of West Virginia. And what's going on here is they have a radio telescope. The Green Bank Radio Telescope. Imagine that as a name. (laughs) So the radio telescope does a lot of things, but is extremely sensitive to radio waves. So within a radius around it, which is a couple of miles, any device that emits radio waves, Wi-Fi signals, microwave radiation is banned. So what ends up happening here is that means that little town that's around there does not have any wireless communication at all. No cell phone networks. No Wi-Fi, of course, all that type of thing is not allowed. So it would be really interesting, and they're growing up there and that type of a thing, to be in an area that's so different from everywhere else would be kind of unusual. So they've been looking to get a cell phone network in there that would be compatible with the area and have been trying to do it in 2018. The county and the city even went out and said, hey, if if you come in here, we'll fund it. But uh, so far... It is still a radio-neutral zone. Is it safe to go to Comic-Con yet? Yeah, unfortunately, we just had to make that decision. So we were going to be going back to the Silicon Valley Comic-Con, which is actually probably one of my favorite shows out of the ones we all do every year. Yeah, I agree. At the point that we're recording here, it is still being produced. But, you know, we, we have to take into consideration health of everybody. When we signed up for it and got our press credentials there, the virus was starting to die off, and it was looking like things were going to be pretty normal. And now this Delta variant has come back, and the fact of the matter is we just don't know. Right. And because all of us are around individuals and our families and things that are considered high risk, it was finally necessary to make the decision to not go to an indoor event, uh, especially in an area of high transmission, which San Jose, Santa Clara County is right now. So it's a bit of a bummer. So we'll keep everybody updated on what's going on with all of this. But right now is very much a time of uncertainty. And I am just climbing the walls. I want to get back to doing something soon. Mm-hmm. And uh, and this one's been a bit of a bummer. So, you know, we, if we have any listeners who go, send us your pictures. Please do. Let us know how it went. I understand the show is going to be smaller this year, but... Still, I'm sure there's things there that are really worth seeing. So I'm I'm glad they're able to still produce it. I mean, you know, going forward, we don't want to lose all of our shows either. And that can happen no. because not being able to produce a special event when your company's business model is producing special events can create a huge financial hit. Yeah. Uh, is there a new Marvel cartoon? Yes. Yes, there is. I'm hearing there <laughs> is too. Jeremy, I think you know a little more about that than I do. Okay, it's called uh, Marvel's What If, and it's based on the comic book series that they did for years and years now, where they take a a premise like, uh, what if um, Spider-Man's or Peter Parker's Uncle Ben didn't die, you know, 
And it's so they everything gets changed just a little bit, and the outcome is totally different. Okay. You know what happened? What happens if um, Tony Stark became Sorcerer Supreme instead of uh, Doctor Strange? So the comic, the the animated series, the first episode is what happened? What what if Peggy Carter got the Captain America serum? And so it it changes everything. So what if she became Captain America or Captain Carter? So what this is, is it's a nice little, it's not them changing the characters forever. It's just a one story where you get to imagine what things would have been like. And they did a really nice job with the first one that Mm -hmm. we saw. So in the second artwork. Oh yeah. uh, Nice animation. And the story wasn't stupid either. It was, it was intelligent. Mm -hmm. So then the second episode is what if um, T'Challa, uh, Black Panther, oh, is became Star Lord. Oh, so instead God, of getting instead of Peter Quill, <laughs> you get T'Challa. So it's a totally different series, and it's actually uh, Chadwick Boseman's last uh, recording. Oh, that sounds this, this sounds interesting though. I mean, that type of a thing could be really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is it? I assume it's on the Discovery it, or uh, Disney Plus. Disney Plus. Yeah. Disney, Plus. Disney Plus. Yeah, under the Marvel uh, banner. New episodes yeah. on Wednesday. All right, I'll have to check it out. That sounds like a pretty cool one. And uh, yeah, a lot of these things uh, that they do on the comic books are really cool on television. Some people even get to make movies from their comic book stuff. What's our next question? Is ambient television lighting worth it? So, listener question out there, and this is something that I've been playing with. For a while, I think this is a pretty <laughs> subjective question. Now, yeah, I've worked with this in two ways. Um, I had an original, very kind of beta system for doing ambient lighting. So, what this is is basically a backlight for your television that adds a level to it where the lighting of the wall is based in real time on what's on the television screen. Hmm. So, the original system I had put a light bar, an LED light strip, really, around the edge of the television, and the entire strip would change colors based on what's on the screen. Now, it was kind of cool, but it was very bright, for one thing, so it was almost distracting. And the other thing of it is, is that since it was unicolored, in the sense, it sort of was ambient lighting, but, you know, I I don't know, it could have been better. It was definitely a good first attempt. So the second attempt that I'm working with now is an ambient light strip made by Philip Hughes, and uh, Philip Hugh, rather, and this goes behind the television, and the strip itself is capable of emitting different lights based on the different sections of the screen in real time. So it actually is a lot better. It's not hmm. so bright, so it's not distracting, and it's a lot more accurate. It feels better as to what it should be. So if the left side of the screen is a green tree, the ambient light there is green, and if the right side is a blue sky, it's blue, you know, that kind of thing. Cool. So. Now, the cost of getting one of these systems together, this is the other thing one would need to consider, it could be about $1,000 if you have to buy it from scratch. So that's question number two, if it's worth it. But it is kind of cool. So are you saying that it'd be better to buy the um, more expensive system than a low-grade system? Yeah, I think if you're going to get it, spend the money on it, because you do get kind of what you pay for here. Mm-hmm. And it is a definitely a situation where... You know, I I think if you're going to put it out there, do the do the right thing and get the right stuff to do it. The reason why it's so expensive is because you have to have a computer controller to make the thing work. So in the case of the Philips system, and and I'm not advertising Philips, it's just the one that I worked with. 
But in the case of their system, they have a controller which plugs into the HDMI ports that go into the television, and that's how it picks it up and encodes the signal for the light bar. Hmm. But that controller is over $200, and the light bar itself is another $200, and then you need a Hue Hub. So there is some investment. I think it's cool. I like it. So that's just my opinion on it. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. Great show this week. Yeah. So we have one other listener question. We've been talking about antique video games on the show a a little bit, and actually quite a little bit, because it's something (laughs) that uh, is pretty popular. I know it's an interest I have, too. And um, the question that was asked is, are there any new games for the Atari 2600? And more broad than that, are there new games for these old systems? So... I went and did a little bit of checking on this. So the last official game that was made by Atari for the 2600 system was in 91. Hmm. Wow. And uh, that's when they officially stopped manufacturing the system. And that was the point that they were done. However, there is a lot of other stuff out there. And some of it's what's called homebrew. Mm -hmm. You can actually buy games that other people have made that will run on the system. And like with a lot of software, some are better than others, although a few of these that I've looked at are actually pretty cool. However, some of the other video game companies that made third-party games are still around, and we're seeing some very high-quality, brand-new, copyright 2021 Atari 2600 games come out. That's kind of cool. So that's, that's interesting. That's one way of looking at it. And then another thing for most of the systems, whether it's the old Atari, ColecoVision, Intellivision, whatever, They make a cartridge adapter that has flash memory in it. And, of course, this is something that didn't exist back in the day, where you can download ROMs into Mm -hmm. the cartridge and then play them on the system. So, basically, it's kind of an unlimited way of being able to get this. Now, getting to the ROMs and trying to do that through a legal way is something that you'll want to figure out. (laughs) But the reality of the situation is that'll work. And some come preloaded and things, too. The other side of it is, is that there is actually devices that add a flash memory port or a USB port to the console. Mm. And then you can do all kinds of things with that, too. So it is interesting, but there are new games coming out for all of these. If you look on an online sales site like eBay or something, you'll find some of them out there. Check them out. And it is kind of cool to see what people are coming up with with a lot of this after you would think it's long since dead technology. People still love these things in the day, and they do now. So that's what's happening. Upcoming events for user-friendly, you know, Mm. again, this is all um, subject to health and safety. We're not going to be able to do Silicon Valley. Um, UFO Fest in McVinville, that's an outdoor event, September 23rd to 25th. So I'm hoping everything will be okay and we can be there. Yeah. So we'll let you know as we get closer to that. And we'll kind of have to go from there. We've got some other things on the list. But right now, I just don't know what is and isn't going to materialize. So we'll see where we end up with all of this stuff. And uh, and, and hopefully we'll be able to go there. I know a lot of us uh, on our end and on your end, too, are really ready to get back to normal life and just being around the conventions and things we do. And we'll get there. It just we're not 100% sure when yet. 
But until then, this is User-Friendly 2.0, keeping you safe on the cutting edge. User-Friendly 2.0, copyright 2014 to 2021, User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. The views and opinions expressed on this show are those of the host and not necessarily User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. or this station. Music licensing by BMI. Hosting provided by wearetechnology.com. Podcast available at userfriendlynation.com, theanswerportland.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.